I'm Andrea Lopez Villafania. I'm Andrew Keats. I'm Scott Lewis. We host the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. Every Friday, we break down the news, news we, we think, think you should know in San Diego. Things like housing, homelessness, education, elections, political drama, the big stories that dominate the news, and the ones that slip under the radar. We also interview local lawmakers, policy experts, and other investigative journalists. The Voice of San Diego podcast, every Friday. Subscribe now, wherever you listen. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 11 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Not only are we halfway through Season 5 already, this is officially the 100th episode of this show. In a few moments, you'll hear this week's interview with co-owner of Kiln Coffee Bar in Grand Junction, Colorado, David Foster. But first, I want to assure you that I have actually counted the number of episodes several times, and this really is 100. It is fitting that this episode features a roaster that I've been visiting for quite a bit longer than I've been doing this show. Kiln is a destination stop for my wife and I on our annual holiday travels. We even plan the stops of our trip around Kiln's holiday hours, so that we can get there early enough to enjoy coffee without feeling rushed before finishing our journey. Early on in this episode, David says something that is incredibly relevant to every entrepreneur. When I ask him about his role at the company, almost under his breath, he says that the roles are constantly shifting. Keep that in mind while you're listening to this show, and especially if you're out there listening while plotting your own entrepreneurial journey. If you want to see photos while you're listening, follow and check out at Kiln Coffee Bar on Instagram or Facebook, and check out the newest post on RoastWestCoast.com, those will be linked in this show's notes. As for me, I'm going to fill up my wife's kiln travel mug with coffee, break out my lined pocket notebook, and start plotting the next 100 episodes. And you should be taking the day's first slurps of espresso, plunging the handle down on the first French press coffee, or listening to the drip of your morning pour over. Because you need a great cup of coffee to go along with this interview with David Foster, co-founder of Kiln Coffee Bar in Grand Junction, Colorado. Nice to meet you, uh, obviously. And this is the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I see you got a Mariners cap on. Uh, You know who they play today? Uh, They do play today. They play this evening at 7.40. Nice. Yeah, I'm a big Brewers fan myself, but I did dress up as Ken Griffey Jr. for Halloween for like many years in a row as a kid. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So we... The Mariners are playing the Phillies this week, and one of our regular customers is a Phillies fan, so I'm watching the Phillies game with him this week. <laughs> I feel like no one is a Phillies fan unless they lived in Philly. And yeah, then he lives in Philly. <laughs> die-hard Phillies fan. Yeah. It's, just, uh, it's insane. So I was a, a Yankees fan for a long time, and then I moved to New York and started going to Yankees games in person, and they yeah. just weren't as much fun. Yeah. And the vibe was a little bit different. And I I made a decision that when Derek Jeter retired, I would retire as a Yankee fan. <laughs> uh, when that happened, went out, buried my Yankee cap at the park and uh, had a little <laughs> ceremony and a beer and uh, 
nothing but the Brewers ever since. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind, uh, just for the tape, if you could just say your name, what your coffee company is, and kind of what your role there is, I'd appreciate it. Cool. Yeah. I'm David Foster, uh, co-owner at Kiln Coffee Bar in Grand Junction, Colorado. Uh, and I co-own it with my twin brother, uh, John. And this this May is five years. I've been open for five years. And what was the last thing? Just like what your role was there as an owner, what kind of what where do you lean towards in the business? My role, I work about twenty five to thirty hours behind the bar. I'm actually switching more to the twenty five range um, here starting in June. So typically, I've been more like thirty five hours. But uh, I'm mostly managing th- roles are constantly shifting. I am mostly oversee inside the shop. Um, we have two managers in the shop, and we also in June we're taking on a shift lead position. Um, and so they're all full-time salary and I'm kind of head over making sure they're all in good place, uh, managing scheduling and just kind of maintaining the shop side of things. My brother, uh, runs like the roasting side of things and also does all the finances and all that kind of end of things. And so, but it always feels like we're changing hats and actually things like this, uh, meeting up with city people or whatever it might be is typically usually ends up being my thing, which is funny because he's the. My brother's the extroverted one. I'm the introverted one. But I've grown to really enjoy having these conversations because like we're passionate about what we do. It's fun to have a conversation about it. And so, yeah. I thought you were around for longer than five years. So full disclosure to anyone listening, I've been going to Kiln um, on my travels through to Frisco, Colorado every year. And I thought it was longer than that. Um, But that's kind of how I discovered you as we always spend the night in in Grand Junction or Fruta and and ended up in your shop. You and your brother John co-owning this. I'm wondering if you, as a, you know, if you had kind of a first experience either by yourself or together with yeah. coffee that made you think, you know, before the business was part of it, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm kind of into this. Like, this is something I like. We actually grew up uh, hanging out in coffee shops with buddies, and we'd go and play card games, board games with buddies. Uh, I mean, we'd just go and read books. Uh, you name it. We were just hanging out in coffee shops in high school for some reason. I'm not sure how that ended up being. There was a it no longer exists, but there's a lady named Oliveira that had, I think she had four shops at one time in Hemet, California, where we grew up. That's typically where we would end up hanging out and it shifted depending on it, that always changed. <laughs> so we always loved hanging out in coffee shops. And for us, it was more so the community side of things. It wasn't necessarily uh, the coffee into things. I feel like coffee was something, I mean, we started off drinking frappuccinos, caramel macchiatos, you name it. Um, the gateway drug. <laughs> so we always joked around about running a coffee shop together just cause we love the community aspect. We didn't know anything about business or anything about coffee. My brother got a job at Pete's coffee in uh, college in Newport beach. He worked at the one right down the street from the beach. And uh, that's kind of where he started getting his knowledge in coffee. Um, I didn't get my first job in coffee until I actually got a job because of his experience. <laughs> he just called the called the lady up and asked if they're hiring. And she hired both of us on the spot because he had coffee experience. And for some reason, I thought because I'm his twin, I'll figure it out. <laughs> some sort of twin connection where you yeah. can all of a sudden pull shots. <laughs> it's being, being a twin's odd at times because people just they definitely like playing baseball growing up, we would always have to be on the same teams because the coach never wanted to offend one of us if 
it was both of us going to varsity or both of us being on JV, whatever it might be. But we found the same thing. So we both got a job and it was in Montana at a coffee shop called City Brew. They, I think they have around 11 or 12 coffee shops throughout Montana now. Um, they're kind of a like Starbucks-esque model that uh, has grown significantly in Montana. They've done a good job. We both worked there for about six months. Um, and then we moved to Davis, California. Actually, we both met our wives working at a coffee shop in Davis, California. Uh, my brother's wife was a barista along with us. Her name's Deborah, And then uh, my wife was a student that was coming in study and that I was flirting with coming in. <laughs> and so, uh, um, and I ended up managing that coffee shop. And so that was the first time I kind of got managerial experience and uh, just learning ordering and all that, you name it. I did all the hiring and all the scheduling and I basically try to do everything to make it as easy as possible on the owners because I, I genuinely loved and appreciated the owners. I didn't start working in a craft coffee shop until after that coffee shop. My first coffee shop was first and last coffee shop working for was Pachamama Coffee Roasters and they're in Sacramento. At the time they had a shop in Davis, which they no longer have it there. Um, they're unique in the sense that they're technically farmer owned. So the owner of that uh, worked for, oh man, one of the, com- I'm blanking on the name, but he worked for a company that he was over in Peru for a while. And so that's where the name came from was Pachamama, I think it's Mother Earth and Peruvian. That's really interesting. The, the farmer owned concept, meaning I'm assuming yeah. you mean the Peruvian farm was the owner or the owner owned both the shop and the farm. It's a collective of farms and I'm not sure the exact model and how he makes it work. I never fully gathered it while I was there, but that's how they market it. And they have all the photos of their farmers in the shop and they're pretty intentional with their product. So yeah, it's a unique concept and I haven't seen anybody else do anything remotely like it. Very interesting. There's a, a farmer owned shop here in, and well, it's in De- in Delmar, but the farm is technically like three acres that is also here in San Diego County. So it's not quite the same concept. It's more of a domestic style For thing. Sure. So did you go from uh, Pachumama to opening your own place then? Was that the next jump? I worked in special education for three years. So I was kind of out of the coffee industry for a while. And to be honest with you, so I got married in California in 2017. And uh, my wife and I, was it seven? That was 2016. My wife and I moved out here to Colorado right after we got married. And again, the dream was always to open a coffee shop together, my brother and I. Uh, My brother was living on the front range at the time, and we live in Grand Junction. That's on the western slope, so we're about four hours. Well, four four hours if the weather is good. If the weather's good, yeah, and the roads are good, which is not very common nowadays, (laughs) summer and winter. Yeah, on our way home uh, this last December, we made it an hour we were an hour, maybe hour and a half out of Grand Junction and the highway was just shut down for avalanche warnings. <laughs> and we just sat there like the at a Shell gas station for four hours waiting to see if they would open up. Because you never knew. You're like, oh, well, should I take this other sketchy road around that I've never been on? Should I wait for the highway? So it's a, I always caveat any travel times in Colorado. <laughs> for sure, for sure. The weather's good. Uh, yeah, and so at, when moving here, I mean, the idea is maybe at some point, I always would tell people five years because <laughs> that's the excuse of like, oh, five years is for farther, far enough away that I don't have to think about it that much. But actually, my brother came to visit about four months after we moved here. 
And at the time, the, the college was growing. I think it was the second fastest growing university in the country. I don't know if it still is, but it still is growing pretty rapidly. And the community was just in a big growth with young people moving to Grand Junction. Kind of the overflow from Denver. And my brother just kind of looked at me. He was like, dude, if we're going to do this, now's the time. There's no one doing craft style coffee in Grand Junction yet. We had, I'm not sure if you got to visit Best Slope at all in Fruita. Mm-hmm. Best Slope does a fantastic job. They were them and Cimarron Roasters and Montrose, right? The first two on the Western Slope doing craft coffee. And so, and I actually live in Fruita right down the street from Best Slope Coffee. My wife and I are always there on Saturday and Sunday. We're good buddies with the, the owners and all the priests there. Oh, nice. Yeah, we go there to get uh, coffee and then an acai bowl in the morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Up there. So I actually, I didn't know they existed until we moved here. They had opened two months before we moved. And we literally moved and somebody told me there's a new coffee shop. I was like, there's, I mean, it's probably just another coffee shop. There's, there's no way it's craft. And I, I walked in there, like literally, I it was one of the most emotional experiences, feeling like I had given it up <laughs> coming here and realizing that it's right down the street from my house. I was, I was so pumped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my brother's definitely the ones like, we need to start writing a business plan and get this going. <laughs> What made you think that it was a decision? I mean, it was always kind of a dream, but if you're working in special education, that's also an intense career. Yeah. Was there, is there a, an alternate universe in which you're still not in coffee and you're doing that? Was there ever any question that this was something you were going to jump? Because you're not only leaving a career or a job, at least, you're taking a risk and starting your own business. Yeah, for sure. It's funny because I deal with a lot of anxiety. <laughs> and so opening your own business doesn't sound like something necessarily I would do. I think it uh, primarily my brother and my relationship made it like, easy knowing that we have each other's support. And it just seemed to, yeah, I could see myself working in special education. There's aspects that I loved. Um, I had a hard time I actually, I wasn't, I wasn't a teacher. I, I worked as a paraeducator. And so I worked alongside the teachers and the support that I had with students in uh, California, I worked primarily with pretty severe needs and um, a lot, a lot of more um, psychological stuff. And so the students that I got to work with, I really got, there's one student in particular that I grew really close to because I, it, you easily see, I mean, I see myself, I, I mean, and obviously in, in more extreme behaviors, and that's why they're in the class, but it, relationships like that make me consider in the future when we're done with this, whatever it might be, I definitely have fond memories, but it, I definitely had a hard year uh, here. My The one year I worked in special education here, I dealt with a lot of depression for sure, feeling like wasn't really valued and and the student I was working with was pretty difficult for sure. <laughs> well, it's such an emotional job and it takes a special skill set and just a shout out to anyone who works with kids and with special education. I mean, I see what my wife does and and the ability she has to work with kids on their level wherever they're at. I volunteer a little bit with some of her students and you know, a half an hour a month for me I'm like an emotional wreck, you know, how yeah. she manages to do it every day is, is just amazing to me. You have to have a great support system. That's for sure. <laughs> and that is really important because she, you know, I know she communicates with her old classmates and stuff in different situations. Uh, you know, you mentioned you worked with teachers, but like, especially now where people have been leaving the industry, I think roles like that, 
are, were always extremely valuable, but you essentially are taking on the roles of teachers because there's just not enough people to go around that do this work yeah, anymore. For sure. Did your brother ever try to convince you to move to the other side of the mountain range there? No. Well, I guess kind of joked around about it when we were still in California. My wife and I visited, we actually visited them out there. And then my wife's aunt and uncle had retired here in Grand Junction because one of her cousins had married a farmer out here. So I always, her cousin comes in all the time. And so I always joke around with people that we wouldn't exist if it wasn't for her marrying, <laughs> marrying a farmer. <laughs> but we basically ended up here because of that decision. <laughs> I think there was kind of a joke at the beginning, but uh, never, we were just kind of interested in finding a place to live. Actually, Nashville was on the table at one point uh, and that, and I don't think we, we didn't really make a decision uh, of where we were going to move based off where we wanted to put a coffee shop. We were just kind of figuring out what we wanted in this next season of life. Yeah, that's a tough one. Do you move to the place you want to live or do you move to the place where there's opportunity and how do you find yep. the overlap? I always yep. struggle with that question. What about the name Kiln? Um, where did that come from for you guys? And you know what, what does it mean? Yeah, for sure. It's actually a name that a friend tossed out. Um, we were kind of going through names. Our buddy Frank, he, he actually, I don't know if you've ever been to Dark Heart Coffee in uh, um, Loveland, Colorado. They're fantastic people. But he was working for them at the time, and we were toying around with some um, ideas, and he tossed out the name Kiln. And all three of our, I'm sure you're familiar, it's C.S. Lewis wrote the Narnia series. His house is called the Kilns. Like part of the reason is the idea of a kiln is that we're refined by, we're, uh, the, a kiln refines pottery, hardens it, strengthens it. The idea is that uh, the tradition of the coffee house is people would come in to talk philosophy and talk politics of the day. And so we kind of tied those two together in the sense that we want this space to be a place that people could come and have conversation of from different backgrounds, whatever it might be, and embrace each other within each other's differences, and that we could grow stronger as a community because of that. And so that was kind of the philosophy behind Kiln, and we just took that and ran with it and have really tried to own that identity. Yeah, and I can see it even, uh, even another level just kind of reading into it, but like a kiln, you know, the, the heat and the pressure of the kiln creates something new from... You know, you put one thing in and a new thing comes out. Yeah. And similar with the idea of going into a coffee shop and sharing ideas and, and mm -hmm. coffee together. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think the American Revolution started in a coffee house. Uh, oh, I actually uh, didn't know it. <laughs> I think that is there was a there were coffee houses that revolutionaries like had specified as these are our meeting places where we can pretend we are socializing, but we're also planning the revolution. <laughs> That's awesome. In the back room. I've been to your shop. It's in downtown kind of Grand Junction, mm -hmm. right on kind of the main street. What is kind of the vibe like when somebody walks into Kiln? You know, what are they going to experience? You run the shop. It's like you're a representation of what you guys are, <laughs> of you. For sure. And one thing that we tell our baristas when we hire is that I mean, we're oftentimes the first thing that people see in the morning. And we have the opportunity to set their day on a path that can be a very positive path or a very negative path which is incredible, incredible power in your community to impact it in a positive way. Like, how cool is that, of the impact that you can have? And so definitely try to create, uh, pass around the positive vibes as much as possible. But we, I mean, try to be as excited to see people when they walk in and greet them with friendly faces. And, and obviously we're human. Sometimes we fail at that. It's part of being human. But uh Definitely, we're trying to create that fun-loving. We try to keep the space really clean. 
everything's kind of has a white base to it um, with a lot of wood um, with black accents. And we try to make everything definitely look very clean so people can see the intention behind what we're doing. Uh, we definitely want to communicate that we care. Um, we care about the product and we care about them as humans. And we want to make sure they have a positive experience. One thing that we also share with Breeze's is that we're not, we're not trying to make as much money as we can off of somebody when they walk in the door. If we can't meet their needs, we're going to send them somewhere else. So if we don't have a bagel um, that they're wanting to get, we could send them. There's a Main Street Bagels down the street. We could send them down there. Our style of coffee is all on the lighter end. So if somebody's coming in looking for a dark roast and just really wants a dark roast coffee, we're not going to try to sell them a cup of coffee that's going to be offensive to them. We're going to send them to the coffee shop down the street that is going to be an enjoyable cut for them. Because the reality is that we're definitely fulfilling a niche and we're passionate about what we do, but we're not going to meet everybody's needs. And uh, at the end of the day, our goal is to meet people's needs. And if we can't, we're going to send them elsewhere so those needs can be met. So it's definitely the culture that we try to create. We're just trying to be part of the community in a positive way and uh, fill a need in the community and direct people elsewhere when, when needed. You mentioned that your coffee is on the lighter side. I don't actually know this, but do you, is the roasting facility in the back of that space here in downtown or do you have another roasting space? And how did you guys kind of come up with, you know, your roasting philosophy essentially? Yeah. So we have a separate roasting space. Um, it's over on 12th street. It's not open to the public. It's actually just like a little warehouse attached to the back of, there's a place called Coors Wellness. It's a little chiropractic clinic and we just uh, lease his little warehouse behind his space. I'm in Rostov. It's about like 750 square feet or so. Um, like roasting philosophy. Um, so most of the coffee shops I worked in before were more traditional style roasting. So um, you're getting the light, medium, dark French roast just across the spectrum. Again, that Pachamama Coffee Cooperative was the first coffee shop that I worked in that would have been labeled under that like craft or third wave umbrella. And typically, I mean, what that means, they're kind of buzzwords in the industry. <laughs> but uh, what that means is you're not going to see labels of light, medium and dark. You're going to just see the bean and the origin. And typically when you see those labels, what that means is it typically will land in between that light to medium stage. People will say that we're roasting to the bean. This common terms is tossed around. And kind of the goal with that roasting style is that you're when you're first uh, roasting, you kind of enter this like gra really grassy phase uh, before you're getting to the roast, the roast that you're looking for. Um, and then once you get past that like peak, so grassy, then it hits this peak. And then right after the peak, it'll start getting more of that like classic roasted taste that you might associate with the dark roast and medium roast will have that like roasted taste or like charred taste that we're used to drinking in a cup of coffee. So the goal in craft industry is to hit that peak. Typically, I mean, the reality is that you're going to err on one side or the other. Um, just like being human, you're going to err on one side or the other of whatever it might be. <laughs> um, uh, we typically have historically probably aired a little bit more towards, we'll push a little bit towards the lighter end. Because we definitely, we try not to bring in, incorporate any of those more roasted tastes. There's one coffee that we have right now, our Honduras, that we push a little bit further because we kind of like adding that component to it. And so it really depends on the coffee at the end of the day. But you just kind of have fun with it and try to, I love uh, Cimarron Roasters. He's an hour south of us in Montrose. Uh, talking to him, he, he really messes with his stuff all the time. He's always tweaking and turning. We try to find one. And we just kind of stick with it um, is our philosophy. But I love he's as 
you ever get a chance to meet Eric from Cimarron, he's as nerdy as they come in the coffee industry. And, uh, <laughs> he's a fun, fun personality and he knows his stuff for sure. That's saying something too, because there are some nerdy personalities in yeah, coffee for, for sure. For sure. Uh, how is uh, Kiln kind of a reflection of Grand Junction? I notice when I have been in your shop, there's generally local art on the wall or events going on. And, you know, you've been there five years now and two and a half of those years have been during a pandemic. <laughs> Western Colorado was a hotbed of COVID for a while there. So I know it was pretty intense. Mm-hmm. You know, how have you guys handled that? And, and how have you guys become you know more a part of this community being outsiders yeah. uh, to Colorado? For sure. I mean, when we became the hotbed, I feel like you would have hoped that we would have taken it more seriously than we did as a community. <laughs> I should say that the last time I was there, I got an alert on my phone yeah. saying that it was like the highest COVID count of anywhere in the country. Yeah, that was, wasn't that in like February or something? Just this past February? Uh, yeah, it would have been early January, I think. Okay. Right, when I, was I know that there was a like a pretty big peak not too long ago, but man. I feel like the community was it's we're it's pretty polarizing Grand Junction with the growth that's happening and then also um, like traditional values. And so there's definitely some polarization with that. Um, I feel like the community is really trying to figure out how to operate differently as it grows. Um, And that's a big part of our passion is trying to like I we don't care what your background is. (laughs) We just want to love on you and embrace you where you're at. And try to figure out how to uh, serve you best. Yeah, I mean, the first couple of months of COVID absolutely sucked. We're definitely in here just twiddling our thumbs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sir, like we maybe served two people an hour, maybe. And reading, we're just reading books. And we had a little disc golf basket in here. We were just putting, playing disc golf because <laughs> we could. We had all of our tables pulled back. So definitely, we're trying to figure out ways to entertain ourselves and kind of creating jobs for uh, staff to whether it was painting or cleaning something or whatever it might be. But uh, the first couple of months were pretty hard, but man, it was kind of a steady climb after those couple of months. And uh, it's, I mean, we're in a place that we're, we're doing better than ever. We're super grateful. Uh, the community kind of came behind us. And even those couple of months, there was, there were so many times that the community just felt like, helped carry us through it, whether it's random people coming in and buying a ton of gift cards for people or just regular customer knowing that they're not coming in and just buy, coming in and buying a $200 gift card for when they do come in next. Random things like that that people feel like is a small thing coming in and doing, but when it's when you're kind of in the, like, the, the muck of it all, the small things like that really make an impact. And so there's multiple times where – I mean, my brother and I both were breaking down in tears of realizing, man, <laughs> this like pretty grateful for uh, what we have. So, how involved are your wives in the business? You, I know your brother's wife was a barista, yeah, and uh, you met your yours was a, a coffee drinker coming into the shop. So, yeah. are, are they involved day to day, or do they have their own life? And this is you know the brother's thing, and we're gonna get out of the way. Kind of a, a mixture of both. Um, it's kind of we're definitely kind of running things. My brother's wife is a nurse. Uh, my wife is a math teacher at the high school. But uh, hol- holidays and summer, uh, my wife's in here working, and uh, if we need help. And then also, uh, one of our favorite traditions is every Christmas Eve we just give the staff off, and uh, it's just us four that come in and work in the morning with my brother. My brother has two kids, 
Um, and they come and sit on stools in the back with us. And we just do free drip coffee that day. And um, we all come in in our uh, Christmas PJs. <laughs> and so it's kind of our fun way to engage with the community. And it's a fun day just that everybody's in fun spirits. And so we're just open for three hours that day. And the community is, I feel like over the past three years, like found that as a tradition. And so we definitely, this last year was super busy. It is just, it's just so much fun for us. And I feel like you're kind of, we're kind of building uh, any way that we could build that sense of community or purpose together. Definitely our wives enjoy being in here and love being a part of it. And they know how meaningful it is to us as well. So, yeah. Well then what's, uh, what's coming up next? I mean, you've, you, five years is like, a, I think, a tipping point for any small business. You kind of feel established and you've certainly survived something very difficult yeah. uh, with the pandemic. Where do you see Kiln going and, uh, you know, what's the plan if there is one? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we've tossed around so many ideas and there's a lot of opportunities uh, in Grand Junction with the growth that's happening right now. There's a lot of things going down at the riverfront and people are constantly asking us about if we were to be interested or willing to put in a coffee shop somewhere. The interest is, I wouldn't say is not there, but I think COVID definitely dialed us back a little bit in the sense of being intentional with what we have and uh, really trying to put as much energy as we can into it. Uh, one thing that we are interested or open to at some point is our roasting space I mentioned is in a little warehouse. We would be interested if there was a space that we could purchase at some point or something that really made sense for us to be long-term. We have a 15-year lease here in downtown Grand Junction, so, and we've only been on one year of it, so we have 14 more years. But uh, we'd love to find a more permanent location for our roasting space. And if we if we did find a more permanent location, we'd probably have some sort of small scale, whether we've talked about talked about doing maybe small scale coffee in there or seeing if there's a gal that works for us that really wants to run to have her own coffee shop someday. That's something that we're interested in helping her into if that fits with our roasting space or whatever it might be or or the other thing that we might be interested in with the roasting space is doing kind of like a refillery type thing um, where people become refill refill their coffee canisters, tea canisters, cold brew, have a bunch of kombuchas on tap, kind of just like that kind of type of model for home brewing and home use with, I guess, drinking products. Very cool. Is your brother also a Mariners fan? Yeah, we're both, we're both huge Mariners fans. Yeah. Our wives are both big Giants fans. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> They've had a much more fun go of it. I think. They've had a much more su- <laughs> successful lifespan of games than the Mariners have and during our lifespan. Yeah, uh, very, very much. It must, it's, it, it almost, it's, you know, it's like I'm a, I grew up a Packers fan. So like my friends who are Bears fans, like, all right, good for you. Like, yeah. You're, you're willing to fight the good fight, I guess. When my wife complains about her giants, I always say, tread lightly. (laughs) The 20 years since we ever even had a playoff game. So (laughs) So I I don't think I could really feel that bad for you. (laughs) No, 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 no. Uh, Is there anything that I didn't ask you today or you want people to know about Kiln or about you and, and about your coffee journey? One thing that we're passionate about as far as the coffee industry, and this is a model that we've kind of taken off or been inspired by. Are you familiar with Cat and Cloud out of Santa Cruz? Yeah. And those guys, what they're doing? Mm -hmm. They're they're doing a really good job at kind of reinventing the uh, barista model as far as being viewed as uh, an actual job that is valued. 
I feel like traditionally uh, baristas are perceived as, oh, just customer customer service job, minimum wage. You're going to end up with some people that, I mean, you're going to have some good baristas. Uh, you're going to have some that are just there trying to make minimum wage or make ends meet. And so we're definitely kind of taken from their model in the sense of we have three staff that are uh, full-time salary positions with benefits, trying to build uh, more long-term positions that people are excited about staying. And if it fits with us, awesome. Um, if it doesn't, if they're looking for something else long-term, awesome. But uh, so right now we have two full-time positions that they've both been with us for the five years that we've been open. And then uh, the one gal that's jumping into a full-time position here in June, she'll have been with us for almost a year. But definitely that's not something that we just offer anybody. It's definitely like when we see employees putting in a lot of positive energy and working their butt off and just like, man, we'd love to keep them around. <laughs> and so, but we are, John and I joke around about our philosophy is, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with Tom Brady uh, as a football fan, unfortunately. Everybody's familiar with Tom Brady. Tom Brady, uh, like historically has said that it'll take a lower paycheck if it means having better players around him. And so John and I joke joke around. We have the Tom Brady philosophy. We'll take a lower paycheck just so we can have uh, people that we love to work with around us. And so that's kind of, and that's a lot of it's been inspired by what Cat and Cloud's doing in Santa Cruz. So uh, hats off to them for how they're impacting the coffee industry. I think by my count, that is four, maybe five other coffee roasters you've shouted out on this show. So I can, I can tell <laughs> that's like a theme with you that you're always trying to uplift other people. My last question for you, when you go to one of these other coffee shops, what is it that you're ordering for yourself? Oh, man, I'm as boring as it gets. And I'm just, I, I've historically been a cheap person <laughs> to a fault. Uh, so That's drip a good coffee. business owner, uh, <laughs> though, right? Yeah, drip, drip coffee. If I'm going to treat myself, I, so my brother and I just did a trip to Austin, Texas together and went to Merritt Coffee every day while we were there. They do free drip refills. And so, and we love Merritt Coffee. And so we we're just like, man, we're not going to go anywhere else. <laughs> you sit here and drink drip. Um, but uh, if I'm going to treat myself, I'll get a Cortado. Um, if I'm going the espresso route, I'll start craving espresso maybe once every three months or something. But I, if I am going to treat myself, I want an experience with my coffee too. I'll get a pour over and I'll usually get something in the, um, natural honey processed or some sort of different process uh, that seems to be a little bit more experiential for fun. But yeah, for the most part, I'm pretty basic. I'll just go for a drip. <laughs> Nothing basic about it. I think that almost everyone <laughs> that I ask this question to says that in some fashion, yeah. which is great because you, you really get to, I think drip is a great reflection of a coffee shop because you, you if they care enough to make their drip excellent, mm -hmm. you know, it's only going to go up in the other realms of their shop. It's kind of, I used to judge restaurants based on the quality of their toilet paper because yeah. if they had good toilet paper, it meant that they cared about their employees. That was kind of my theory. That's, I mean, that's a huge part of our business philosophy is if you pay attention to the little things, then everything else will shine. And so, yeah, that's huge. Well, very cool. David, I really appreciate you taking, you know, some time to talk to us about Kiln and, and for being one of my wife and I's favorite stops when we travel across the country. Awesome. I'm glad you guys have enjoyed your time. So thanks for having me on. Okay, to recap, and to quote David, 
We care about the product, and we care about them as humans. End quote. That is the message that David and Jonathan pass along to their team about their customers. It is a pretty good mission statement for any business. After getting started in coffee, David worked in the education system with special needs programs before opening Kiln with his brother. I imagine the patience and need to adapt to the changing needs of students helped him build foundational skills that have benefited his entrepreneurial efforts at Kiln. It's a good reminder that everything we do leads up to the thing we end up doing. The way educators, and special needs educators in particular, have risen to the challenge over the past few years has been incredible. I know I can't adequately describe the pride that I feel about my wife and her work as a school-based occupational therapist. Kiln is based in downtown Grand Junction and has become a hub in what is a quickly evolving community that has grown more than 10% since 2010. David and John have at least 14 more years on their lease to evolve along with the community. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next. After we finished recording, I learned that David is a fellow podcaster. He co-hosts The Grind, a disc golf podcast, which I just followed on Spotify, and you should too. Finally, I take my baseball fanhood very seriously. I struggled with the idea that I would retire my support for the Yankees for a long time before making the move. I respect David's support of the Mariners, who've had a real rough couple of decades. My team, the Milwaukee Brewers, were in that same boat for a long, long time before turning a corner in the 2010s. I wish him, but of course not the Mariners team, a lot of luck in surviving this season. Check out kilncoffeebar.com to see what coffees that they are currently offering and order a bag or see more photos of their cafe. You can find that link in the show notes, and Kiln is going to be celebrating a big anniversary in July. They are going to be doing a bunch of giveaways, including Kiln coffee and merchandise, and even a paddleboard through their social media accounts. Now is the time to follow at Kiln Coffee Bar on Instagram and Facebook so you don't miss that. Follow at Roast West Coast while you're there, and check out this show's newsletter at RoastWestCoast.com. Please subscribe to this show. You can subscribe for free, and I'll send this podcast to your email every single week. Or help this show grow by choosing one of the paid subscription options. You'll get access to the Bean Journal, and paid subscriptions and this show's sponsors are the reason I can keep this program going. I mentioned at the top that this was the 100th episode. I need to thank two people who were instrumental in making that happen. Steve Rail is the founder, owner, and head roaster of Zumbar Coffee and Tea. They have two locations, the original in Mission Valley and the second in Cardiff, California. That Cardiff location was one of the very first craft coffee shops that I went to after moving here to San Diego. It was the first place I had a French press coffee ever, and when I decided to launch this show, Steve was the first person I reached out to. He was the very first interview, and I recorded that episode on my phone while he and I talked through Google Meet. COVID was still new, and no one knew for sure how long we were going to be staying home. As the show progressed and it was clear I would need some sort of help sustaining it, Steve was also the first person I reached out to for a show sponsorship. When he said yes, it gave me the confidence that I needed to think that this show could be more than just a short-term project. I've been grateful for his and Zumbar's support ever since. Their Hummingbird Coffee Blend is still one of my favorites, and I regularly brew it in a French press here at home. Secondly, if you've listened to any of the first few seasons of this show, you know Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting is my own personal coffee sensei, and is one of the main inspirations for this show. 
A few years back, I had the opportunity to open a coffee and beer bar, and I backed out of the deal because I didn't know anything about the coffee industry. It was such a big risk for me, and I just wasn't confident it would be a success without that knowledge. It always bothered me that I had to back out because I didn't feel like I had that knowledge. When Chris was opening his cafe in Pacific Beach, I asked him how much he would charge to teach me about coffee. I wasn't planning on opening a cafe bar anymore, but I still wanted to learn. He offered to teach me in exchange for helping him out in the new shop once a week. In the beginning, it was just me and him most of the time. Customers were still learning we were there. During the downtime, he trained me to be a barista in much the way Mr. Miyagi taught Danielson. One day in the shop became two, which became three, which became more than I could manage while still being a full-time restaurant GM. And after a year, I left that position. But the conversations that we had about coffee stuck with me, as did my friendship with Chris. At the time, I remember saying, we should record these. I feel like other people interested in coffee would be interested in this stuff too. But podcasts hadn't really become so ubiquitous yet. And realistically, we were both so busy back then, there was just no way for it to happen. It took a pandemic and the prospect of losing my mind sitting at home for this to become a reality. Once again, Chris graciously offered and continues to offer his time and expertise to this show. Without his coffee knowledge as a base for our Coffee Smarter sessions, I am certain this show wouldn't exist. Thank you, Steve and Chris. So much appreciation. Since then, great recurring guests like Jared Hills and especially Siri Simran Kulsa have helped us take our coffee knowledge to the next level with some support from this show's roast industry partners, including Cafe La Terre, Moster Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Ignite Coffee Company, Ascend Roasters, First Light Whiskey, Marea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, and the aforementioned Zumbar Coffee and Tea and Coffee Cycle Roasting. Shout out to Leap Coffee who are on their own journey, but they were partners and big supporters of this show through the first four seasons, and to the Coast News Group for helping distribute this show every week, and for helping me get started in podcasting by letting me host a few of the shows on their behalf. All of those partners have been foundational in this show existing and improving and growing. As have you. Those of you who listen to the podcast and subscribe to the newsletter have provided me with so much more than I imagine you realize out there in the world. The emotional boost that comes with someone paying to subscribe even when they don't have to is kind of like hitting a home run in Little League. And when I meet random listeners in a cafe or see a barista with one of my stickers on their water jug, I'm filled with gratitude and pride. Thank you all for listening and for supporting this show, this show's sponsors, for reading the newsletter and caring even a little bit about the entrepreneurial journey of others and about your morning cup of coffee. The simple act of drinking a cup of coffee connects you to an entire network of coffee professionals around the world. It is a pretty awesome and fairly delicious power that you wield. Use it wisely. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast and the 99 that preceded it is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. For those of you headed out for a cup of coffee this week, please always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee.
I like beer. Hey everyone, if you like the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer the Podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer the Podcast wherever you are listening to this show about coffee or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com.